Hello, hello and welcome to Pines of Football, another eventful week of our favourite game. Tuchel gets his first win against their biggest local rivals, while Porto fumbles again. Expelliarmus, Potter! <laughs> and what would be his last time? That's right, Ayusha gets his wish. Porter is sacked. Not the only manager to be sacked though, as Brendan Rodgers also fired by Leicester, and then Liverpool humbled by Man City. Ah, that was sweet to watch. The revenge of Manchester, as I call it. These 7 0 nightmares. Do not miss <laughs> Manchester United going down to Newcastle 2 0. Yeah, but this was still like something to be happy about the weekend. I, I knew they'll go, they're going to go down to Newcastle. You can watch that on our fifth point of football. Uh, I did call that right. Not very happy about it, but yeah, it is what it is. So without further ado, let's begin. First, to a topic which, has, which Ayusha has been absolutely buzzing about Graham Potter gets the sack at Chelsea. Finally. The stage is yours, Ayusha. Well, Imanshu, the sacking, he deserved it. It was a long time coming. If you really ask me, I think the owners were 2-3 months late in sacking Graham Potter. But I have mixed feelings. Not because he was sacked, but simply the timing of it, considering the fixtures we have coming up. And the fact that this fight caused a huge disruption in the squad. We'll get to it uh, as we keep on discussing this. But yeah, the sack was definitely coming. And I think he overstayed his welcome at the club. Mm, that's interesting. It's like nothing can make you happy, Usha. You first wanted him gone and now you're like, they shouldn't have sacked him now. <laughs> Anyways, that, that remains to be seen. Um, yeah, so where do you think the timing went wrong? Like what are the fixtures coming up and where do you think Chelsea should have taken that decision? If not in the past, at what time in the future? And the reason for that is by that time, if a new manager would have come in, given the form of United, given the form of Liverpool, given the form of Tottenham, in hindsight, definitely at the end of January, if a new manager had come in and plugged uh, some of the problems that were there under Potter, we could have been there in the top four race. The manager would have had some time to shore up the team for the Dortmund game also. So there was a lot of time to not only keep the season active only in the Champions League, but also in the Premier League. Uh, worst case, even turn our league form around, give the fans, in, the fans who go to the stadium something to look up to. As opposed to now, where there is simply not enough time to find a replacement, right? And it's we're in exactly in a situation like Tottenham where you can clearly make out the club have no back, no no plan in place. And that is why we have not been able to uh, name any replacement. This is very unlike what happened at Bayern Munich. Even though we both agree that sacking Nagelsmann was the wrong thing to do, Bayern had a clear succession plan in place, right? And for Chelsea, you can even make out that even before the international break, they were not thinking of sacking him. Because again, if they were thinking of sacking him, they would have somebody more concrete in place or there would be rumours as to whom the club has already locked, locked down. But there is nobody in place. So You bring up the international break, right? So before the international break, I think Chelsea were unbeaten for four games. I think one was against Leeds. Uh, they won against Leeds. They won against Dortmund. Uh, they won against another team, which I'm... Leicester. They won against Leicester. And then they... I think they drew against Everton. So don't you think there was some kind of good momentum building up and maybe the international break just came at the wrong time? That is where I say I think the timing was wrong. And it was also because when the manager had such a worst run of results earlier, you have backed him and you have gotten all these players with a recruitment department which largely caters to his philosophy and his style of thinking. And now, suddenly after the international break, you go down in one game and you're, you're ending up sacking him out of nowhere, right? So, and especially when there was a good turn of results. So, he deserved to go, that's different. I think he should have stayed till the end of the season and then gone. This time right now where we can't do anything, especially before the only competition we are in, which is also our only shot to qualify for Europe next season. 
even though it's a long shot that's where i have the problem with exactly and, and that I'll... and sorry sorry just to complete it that does not absolve potter uh, for the loss at aston villa the mistake was entirely his and i i can exp- i can talk in detail about the defeat to aston villa if you want but, but we need to keep this a pint of football we agreed no what again i quickly <laughs> just say the the problem with aston villa also was Potter again he messed around with his defense right he had Badiashvili who was fit Badiashvili before the Dortmund game was constantly playing in the Premier League but for this game he benched Badiashvili then what does he do he puts our best attacking player and yes that is Reece James and he plays him in a back three and he puts Ruben Loftus-Cheek as the wing back and you automatically realize what the problem is right i mean a situation where there was complete lack of communication uh, aided by the wonderful and silly error by Kukurea So again Potter unnecessarily made a change in this game. I understand what he was trying to do. Maybe Wesley Fofana will not be fit for the Madrid Madrid game. So maybe he was trying a new back three. But this is where I think he also has to read the situation. That it's just the wrong time to experiment especially exactly when there's momentum building up. And this is a manager who used to experiment a lot and do a lot of uh, tinkering at Brighton and maybe at Brighton if he got a draw through that tinkering it was fine but And big stakes clubs are like bigger. This, yeah, the exactly. stakes are bigger, and especially when you have messed up so much, why not keep some stability? And again, who in their right minds would play Reece James not in the wing back position? You saw the entire game; we were attacking so much from the left flank because of Chilwell. Now imagine if Chilwell and James both were there and both were attacking. So I mean, so we agree the decision was probably the right decision, but maybe they got done it a little bit earlier, Definitely. and it probably didn't play well for Chelsea. That actually, it it just felt like Graham Potter got the team together before the international break, where the international break could have been the perfect time to maybe find a new manager, maybe even Nagelsmann at that point, right? So a lot of things could have probably played out differently for Chelsea, uh. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, now the situation at Chelsea. So it was like at this point, Potter was a sunk cost. We should have just stuck with him at the end of the season, and then just. Yeah. Be done with him. I mean that's one it's also an interesting point you bring up because the entire staff is the Brighton staff that he brought over. Yeah. So it's not like things will change immediately now exactly. that he's sacked. Uh for example at Con- at Conte, at Conte has a, at Tottenham, Conte had a way of playing, he had a staff, but is this with Conte gone there's a little bit of negativity gone and they still play the exactly. right way. Exactly. With Conte exactly. going out there's uh-huh. a change of mentality. Correct. With, with Potter the mentality was not the problem it was the playing exactly. style which was the problem. And I just feel now Chelsea are without direction being headed by Bruno Saltor who's who doesn't have any management experience and let let's see let's kind of see where this one goes. But quickly Ayusha uh, what's next for Chelsea? Where do you think like what do you think they should persist with Bruno Saltor for the rest of the season or should they try to bring on a manager? and knock knock well uh, nagelsmann's available i think chelsea should go out there and get a new manager i don't know between now and the madrid game how thoroughly we can assess any of the managers who are out there we keep saying nagelsmann we don't even know nagelsmann's state of mind and whether so quickly he wants to jump back into management or not but i think still think the club should appoint a new manager before the end of the season i am not focusing entirely on the madrid game because at this point i feel it's a lost cause but i think the club should appoint a new manager simply for the reason that this is a big squad it is a squad which requires trimming it is a squad which has it's almost it's like players on the right who play on the right hand side for example if you hurry on the left side if you look at sterling or you look at modric they're not similar players even on the right side sometimes mount plays and with mount you have uh, gs who are again different kind of players so 
it also does not have players who provide you the same kind of quality or same playing style so there is a squad which required which needs to be trimmed down exactly and an interim manager will not probably bring direction to it exactly. so, uh, so a manager who comes in now who does not have any expectations to achieve anything by the end of the correct. season uh-huh. can assess this squad can properly trim this squad can even make important decisions on Conte's contract on Mount's contract on Reese James I mean Reese James question more about giving him a contract not keeping him or not but all these decisions i think a manager who comes in a stress free environment can make these decisions instead of straight away coming in the summer and then having to deal with everything trimming the squad buying new right. players figuring out a pre season right i know okay yeah that's that's pretty much summed up well i mean interim manager is probably not the way to go for the rest of the season exactly. just figure out an experienced guy to bring in for the long term yes and uh, we'll see how that goes i know you don't i don't even don't want to talk about uh, potter but what's next for potter where does he go from here i honestly don't care <laughs> No, no. I, I mean, see, he's a nice guy. I think this move came too quickly for him. I think th- there are a lot of clubs. If you look down, Roy Hodgson. If Everton stay up, you know, Potter maybe can go to Everton. They are a club who require rebuilding. Uh, sorry. Uh, who's the Everton manager? Uh, this guy ruled that bald guy. Oh, Sean. Sorry, I didn't say. Potter probably next season can end up at Crystal Palace. They have Roy Hodgson now, who's there as a. as a manager to just see the club out of the relegation zone for years they have been trying to rebuild a team maybe he can go there or maybe he can go to a team of a similar profile maybe he can go back to brighton i mean i don't they won't take him back now so quickly but my point is he needs to go back maybe to a club mid table who have certain kinds of ambitions and then see where he can go from there i think yeah a manager domino might probably help out you know uh, grand potter at this point like for example let's say our rogers is taken by a tottenham or deserve is then go taken to a tottenham then maybe you know potter can move to a leicester or brighton back to brighton again so maybe this can happen over the summer i just don't see something opening just, up immediately i just don't think that brighton move will happen so quickly mm-hmm. even if deserve leaves because i think the brighton fans will not be kind towards him considering how he left them right. in a season where the club had did have some kind of expectation that the club felt they were kind of a role but yeah the profile of clubs that we are talking about a brighton or a palace i know they are in different parts of the table and different form but still you realize right the tables and who are mid table and who have ambitions to move up the table right a club that that can be great for graham potter and there there's the reports coming in that he left as this kind of a good guy right i mean he agreed on a compensation which wasn't in his contract a much lower one and he took that sacking very professionally so yeah i mean good for graham potter i really hope he sticks around at least in epl where we can see him you know week after week uh, but yeah just not at chelsea and not at united just putting it out there So we discussed that the interim manager is probably not the best way for Chelsea, especially with the condition that the club is in right now. Ah, uh, so who next for Chelsea? What's your wish list, and who do you think is likely going to happen? Oh, I think this is a difficult question, and I would really like to hear your thoughts also on it, because who better than Manchester United to keep hiring managers in the name of rebuilding? Wow. But I think I mean see, the wish list is obvious, right? Nagelsmann is on the market. There's Luis Enrique. who had won a treble with barcelona who plays a very attractive style of football who is known to mold a team into a cohesive style of football something which you can say chelsea have not necessarily had over their history and then obviously our third option is uh, mauricio pochettino oh wow uh, you got to pochettino and that's something you want yeah i mean see that's my point so if you let's look at all three three options right nagelsmann we know he is tactically very smart I think the way Nagelsmann plays, which is pressing and then hit on the counter with certain tactical nuances, is a way Chelsea, this Chelsea team is used to playing. 
might be effective in the Premier League also and might also quickly start delivering results. The thing with Nagelsmann is, he is sort of a risky option simply because he's 35. So, at that age, you, you may or you may not have a dressing room. Those things are almost tricky, right? I mean, it's almost like Andres Villas-Boas who became the Chelsea manager at 34. Now, Nagelsmann is way more talented, way more tactically nuanced. But still, it's a bit tricky. That's, that's the thing with Nagelsmann. Then with Luis Enrique, as I said, treble winner, can mould a team in his way, can play really attacking football. Again, with him, a bit of a downside is that after Barcelona, after Barcelona, he hasn't really done well. I mean, the Spanish team played well and Spain going down cannot necessarily down only to him. Because it was how good Morocco was that Morocco <laughs> was there and Spain have had a scoring problem. Chelsea also have, but still. The thing with Enrique, he is very eccentric. He likes to... He's not very flexible. He likes to play in his own way. This is a club, you know, at this point of time, which needs the squad to be managed, but might not be necessarily be able to spend a lot in the summer. So, given all these constraints, we don't know how well Enrique will be able to manage with these constraints, considering like he's a maverick. And again, as I keep saying, he's eccentric. For, I don't know if you know, for example, but he's very popular on Twitch. And he does fan Q&A, Q&As on Twitch, but not with right. the press. So, I mean, he's a very eccentric personality. Not sure how the Chelsea board will kind of say that. And what about Pochettino? I am generally, again, inclined towards Poch because I think he does not have that age thing problem with Nagelsmann. He's been in the Premier League. He's been in a constant environments in Tottenham and delivered results. He's been in high pressure up to the chaotic board at PSG and he has the learning from there. On top of that, he has this reputation of being able to build a team and take them to great heights. So that is where I am looking honestly at Poch. Again, I think from the long-term perspective, I honestly think if Luis Enrique, if there was some surety that Luis Enrique would succeed, he might be the best long-term option because he can really mold this team. But at this point of time, I, I think Poch is the safest option to go to and over the next two, three years. So that's what I feel. But what do you feel actually? I honestly, options. I think... And I'm not taking Zidane's name because <laughs> Zidane, Zidane is not coming. I think, I think Zidane, Zidane is waking, waiting exactly. for the French France national team. Yeah, yeah. he is just going to revolve between the French national team and Real Madrid. Yeah. I don't think Zidane will take up any other job. I think for me, all three really good names. If you look at just like experience in the Premier League, then obviously Pochettino. If you look for a little bit of exuberance, someone who can get the squad playing in a very cohesive way, as you said, then Luis Enrique. And then there's Nagelsmann, who's a little bit of a personality. I'm not sure how much Chelsea would view with... Because he's the complete opposite of Graham Potter, right? He'll not keep a low profile. He'll go there and be the face of the club. If that's what Chelsea wants, then good for them. But if if it's any, if Graham Potter's appointment is anything to go by, Nagelsmann is not the one for him. That's, at least that, that's not who they're looking for. Uh, so yeah, that kind of... Let's see. But, but let's see. Let's put loan on three parameters. Let's say... Assurity... Enrique. One parameter. The other parameter, let's say upside. What do you mean upside? Upside as in under whom do you think like the club can really prosper? Like oh, the yeah. ceiling, let's say. If everything works out, this manager will give the best results possible and take the clubs to the best height. Actually, just keep, let's just keep surety and upside okay, as the two parameters. With regards to surety between Pochettino, Enrique uh, and Nagelsmann, uh, rank them. Who is the most 
I think become, yeah most you'll, you'll have to put an announcement on sure. number 3 because he's a high risk high return kind of a guy. Okay. Number 1 is someone who's proven so it's Enrique and Pochettino will be in between. Oh so you're saying Enrique the more provides more surety than an Nagelsmann and a Pochettino. Exactly yeah. I feel like that Spain that's the Spanish national, national team where he managed and didn't win anything is not all down to him it's probably because of the circumstances. Okay so this is where I think I disagree. I think Poch provides the most most assurance he's won by nothing. Nagelsmann. He's won nothing. Again, the, as I'm saying, assurance. And hmm. That's my point. Assurance. Right. He can be a good manager for the next two, three years, mm-hmm. considering the change that the club has to go to. Second, right. I would put Nagelsmann. I think Enrique is will provide the least assurance, considering mm-hmm. he's the least flexible of all of them. But the upside. Where do you see the, the club having the most upside if everything works? I think on a long term, if you keep only footballing reasons, then again, I would say Luis Enrique. I think that I agree with you. Yeah. So is this if, if football is something to go by alone and not the face of the brand, not what Todd Bolly expects of you as a manager? Yeah. All those things apart, I think Luis Enrique will do good. Exactly, I agree. I think if Enrique can click and things start working for him, he can really lead the club to with his style to un un unthought of glories. Exactly. Then. So there. Second, third, in terms of. Uh, second and third in terms of long term again Nagelsmann would be number three. It's just a high uh, risk, high return kind of thing. So you're saying ups everything works. The upside of a Pochettino is more than the upside of a Nagelsmann. Yep, because Pochettino just has a little bit of Premier League experience, and that really counts. German the Bundesliga as at least for me, it's a lot of German tax which comes, and you have to take that experience with a pinch of salt. Okay. So yeah, that's that's my and Werner being a prime example. Need need I remind you? And so, uh, but yeah, I would say that yeah, the biggest upside is under Enrique. I think the second biggest upside is under Nagelsmann, and I think the least upside under Pochettino because simply Poch hasn't really won anything. Mm-hmm. He's won the French league, but yeah, as we I agree, mean, yeah, it doesn't I mean, count for much. It's almost like if Bayern loses the Bundesliga, that's the news, and winning is not the news. So, I yeah, I mean, I really think it, it's very difficult to say who should be the Chelsea manager, but. And he I says this with a glass of vodka in his hand. So, he's celebrating. He's really happy. Celebrating at the same time, drowning my sorrows. There's no sorrows here, please. You were wishing that he got sacked a long time ago. But yeah, I understand. The, the future of Chelsea is is up in the air right now. I, I agree with you, Himamshu. But this just feels like one of those sackings, which is... Feels like the end of a cycle. And at the same time... Uh, you know, validates that saying that when things start go- going wrong, a manager has to go. Because considering, look at the good times that uh, Leicester had under uh, uh, Brendan Rodgers. They won the FA Cup under him. They narrowly missed out on the Champions League. They were there in the Europa Conference League last season. But yeah, as you mentioned, uh, the club was stagnating. There was lack of investment uh, in the squads. Key players such as uh, P- Peter Schmeichel left. And we never even heard why Schmeichel left. Was it some dissension with Rodgers? We keep hearing things that he does not necessarily want to keep Vardy around. So basically, he's dealing with legacy players he does not necessarily maybe want to keep. At the same time, the marquee players in his squad are also uh, nearing the end of their contract. Madison, Tealman, sorry, they're all being linked to different clubs. On top of that, we keep hearing that uh, Harvey Barnes also uh, might end up leaving the club. So all of this combined... With the lack, as I said, lack of investment in the squad, I think it all just left him in a very, very, very difficult place. And if they get, and obviously now they'll have a new manager. If the new manager ends up saving them, I don't think it will necessarily be credit to the new manager because I feel if you would have kept Rogers to the end of the season, I still feel he would have managed the great escape. I still feel 
he would have saved the club uh, from relegation it just feels sad at the end of the day that it didn't work out and such a great manager who achieved such great things you know uh, came to came to an in fact i will go a step beyond and i will say i know claudio ranieri won leicester the premier league and that will always be the defining moment in the history of english football i feel as far as remarkable stories go but in terms of purely a period of stability you have to say that under rogers that was there and then so roger just one quick question to end this one rogers to tottenham or chelsea rogers to tottenham i can legitimately see happening uh what about chelsea would you take him at chelsea that's where he started everything no not at all uh, ex liverpool <laughs> manager cannot come to chelsea and i say this knowing that rafa benitez managed chelsea so this this cannot happen <laughs> moving on to the marquee game this weekend liverpool versus manchester city one of the marquee games the other marquee game was newcastle united which united lost that was not a marquee game i called that long back but this is a game i couldn't call especially because they were missing their two key players foden and haland uh so what happened in this match ayusha i honestly didn't expect this match to be as one sided as it turned out to be especially when liverpool scored first and on last week's episode i had said actually that one of the ways in which liverpool can catch city is the entire city team ends up at the halfway line and a long ball is played over city have considered quite a few goals against liverpool this season uh, in a similar manner and also in, in the past couple of seasons and that's exactly how uh, liverpool ended up scoring where the long ball was played to jota he held it up brilliantly and then uh, sala ended up scoring it's very similar to the bruno fernandes goal that they considered when the leveler right although this was very legal and that seemed a little bit questionable yeah that goal was questionable but you're right the the me- the mechanism was this uh, was similar but apart from that goal even before that goal and after that goal City actually were cognizant of the fact because even when Allison had the ball the front three of City were not pressing Allison they were conscious of the fact that the whole team should not get sucked up uh sucked up uh, uh close to the halfway line they really wanted to avoid that uh, long ball and yes they made a mistake on this goal but for the rest of the goal they had plugged that gap and once they had plugged that gap Liverpool just did not seem to even belong on the same pitch with Manchester City the patterns of play some of the killer balls which de bruyne was playing the game that uh, grealish ended up having the game that alvarez ended up having i mean truly city were truly spectacular it's almost like you know in the first 10 15 minutes they read that this liverpool team did not pose enough th- any threat to them and that's why city even seemed unfazed after the goal and i mean yeah i mean this was just extremely one sided they just shows how deep in a pit liverpool are and i actually for us as a neutral fan it kept the premier league uh, the title race alive but himamshu apart from what happened in this game where do you think liverpool have actually gone wrong this entire season to the point where for the first time actually they just didn't seem that they belonged on the team on the same pitch as city i think the team has pretty much been the same for for liverpool this season where their pressing hasn't worked out that was the main theme in all their success successful seasons they have missed genie wijnaldum henderson and milner are aging and these are the main people in the midfield who press they also missed mane this season obviously who kind of starts the trigger up front so they their uh their passes per defensive action which is a metric to calculate uh, how 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 much they let the opposition team pass before they make an event like a tackle has increased this season which is really bad is increased by 3 uh, there's also like they they had their midfielders uh, of like Harvey Elliott and Thiago who were more of a how do you say ball playing midfielders and less pressers they're very good technically 
but they don't have the physicality or intensity of a Genie Wijnaldum or a Henderson Milner in their prime. To press and also to stay fit, they both have, they don't have either of those things. Exactly, and even their possession overall has gone down three percentage points this season. Uh, their xG per shot and the total number of shots have both reduced, so they're taking lesser number of shots and the to- the shots are of lower quality. So all in all. these kind of attacking and defensive starts has been coming from the lack of pressing that they've been doing which was stars in the season where they won the premier league and the champions league uh, so this has gone wrong and pep guardiola is very cognizant of this fact he used this fact very well he he saw the spaces behind uh, trent alexander arnold and uh, and robertson and that's kind of where you know grealish exploited them he, he was hugging the touch sidelines right he was always there he was always stretching t double a to the maximum extent and he's firstly a bad defender and he's being stretched to such an extent you could see he was very disoriented even the first goal there was a lot of interplay between the man city midfielders and Julian Alvarez which kind of releases him and nobody keeps track of him and then uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold keeps a grealish onside for that square ball squared in and Julian Alvarez just taps it in and i think they had three of their goals which were tap-ins and all of them because and really high xg goals i would say because It's just they were so disoriented because Man City just passed the ball, oh, like in, to such an effect that they really didn't know what's happening. It was amazing how Pep's let's say wingers were stretching the City, uh, sorry, the Liverpool defenders. That is Trent and Robertson. We know Pep likes his wingers to stick to the sidelines, and in this game they were on the sidelines and at the same time, so they were more going to the sidelines to create the width, and all that space they were creating was being occupied by Gundogan. and de bruyne and at the same time whenever they got a chance they were running in behind also uh, the two liverpool full backs and they were just exploiting that space so beautifully and looking at this game i was just wondering has trent always been so bad and in the previous seasons the liverpool team just covered for his de- deficiencies or is he heading down the delhi alley route i know i'm over exaggerating he'll never go down the delhi alley route but what is the case has trent actually deteri- deteriorated as a player I think he just needs a little support from the midfielders. He had that a lot in the previous seasons. He doesn't anymore. Uh, but yeah, it remains to be seen. I'm, I'm sure Liverpool will strengthen their midfield next season. So if he Klopp said so in the interview that they will buy players. I, and you're right. Actually, the fact that Salah plays on Trent's wing does not help him necessarily yeah. because Salah is not known for tracking back. Exactly. They need a Mane incarnate. They, they just need another Mane to you know come in and do a little bit tracking back. to help trend kind of you know then display his technical abilities and, and they passing. definitely need reinforcing in that midfield but moving on uh, from liverpool's disheartening performance what do you have to say about the way that grealish played in this game because it's his best game in in a man city shirt i remember we were having that argument whether grealish will be a star for man city and I, i thought he would be a standout success going from the first season itself he wasn't i think a lot of city uh, players don't really succeed in the first season because they don't understand guardiola's complex tactics but this season he just stuck to his brief even in this game he just stuck to what he was given and i think there's a very uh, detailed video of how, what uh, guardiola asked his wingers to do theory only explains this in one of the champions league shows he also to create the width he he also tells them to stick stick yes. to that position always stretch yeah. the pitch and grealish did that very beautifully he got a couple of assists and a goal i think one he assist one goal, goal. and that was that was this beautiful to see so grealish really i think for me the story for grealish at city has always been even in his best games i have never found him threatening or lethal this was the first game where i felt grealish want 
wanted to be lethal he wanted to create the assist or he wanted to create that shot in fact i think there were a couple of moments where he could have taken that shot but it was, this was not just oh i'm going to beat one player beat another player then the ball will be dispossessed or then then i'll play a lateral pass he was doing everything with purpose with every, an idea to create something like a goal every time he got the ball just feel felt like something would happen and it kind of helped that he was playing against alexander arnold the one more player i want to touch upon and that's uh, kdb obviously for the first goal by going to the ground he plays that brilliant through ball there are a couple of again insane passes that he played through this game but with de bruyne i don't know if you got this feeling but while watching this game and this over the course of the season what is i have been feeling is that the spectacular passes that he's making every game is just increasing but at the same time to me it seems like he's trying to be more and more risky with the passes he's playing and i'm raising this point up because guardiola mentioned in an interview when he was asked as to why he was dropping kdb for a couple of games he said that he needs to get back to doing the simple things and do, do you feel the same way and if you feel the same why is he doing it is he doing it because haland is in a team and maybe he's he's the best place player to pick him out or you're just seeing some change maybe he's not physically let's say the same maybe he's 2% off and therefore he's just trying to do more i think there are a couple of things firstly of course de bruyne is using those riskier passes we saw a lot of these kind of memes come on right it's just like fuck it haland is somewhere out there and yeah. just you know puts in a pass so he has been braver for that reason i think they miss aguero i mean aguero was not a target man but he just still found a way to get at the end of de bruyne's crosses so that was there in the season where aguero was there and then there was one season without anybody which is just a false nine where you don't really have to put in passes to that person and this season he has the best number 9 in the world in holland so that could be a reason it could also be because i think the the full backs at city are using this time are not overlapping they are underlapping their inverted wingers their inverted full backs they're kind of making sure the midfield is consolidated maybe de bruyne feels like he can take a little bit more risk going forward because he doesn't have to track back that often and i think rodri has come in very well this season really kind of put his foot down in the fernandinho uh, defensive midfield position so all these things coming together has worked out very well for de bruyne and he can you know without worrying really play as creator pet but it's clearly seems to be something which is bothering pep right that's why pep has been moving him in and out of the side and i am again i'm raising this point up because he lost the ball a couple of times in this game and liverpool obviously not as threatening it will be very interesting to say i he definitely start the bayern game but i'm simply saying losing the ball so many times in the bayern game can be can have consequences so yeah i mean he's almost reached to that okay i don't want to call him a bruno but he's become a slightly uh, more he's become a slightly riskier player that's all i'm trying to say and i'm i'm just interested to see how it's going to work out especially in games where other teams can get the ball and quickly you know hit yeah, and bayern munich is a perfect game to observe this if your hypothesis is going to work out i think this refused to believe that we can all put it down to casemiro one player's absence you know cannot just justify everything it's like just chelsea fans just complaining about that kante is injured kante is injured kante is injured. i don't think it can work that way at some point of time i think some questions need to be raised on ten hag regarding this game apart from the two substitutions he made regarding two center backs which still baffles me what also baffles me is still continuing to play antony game after game after game when you have martial fit on the bench why not try something new maybe change the shape of the team a bit i think there are couple of things he could have done differently maybe he could have made the substitutions earlier maybe made the midfield tighter because there was not one point of the game or one passage of play in the game 5 minute passage where it seemed like united were turning the tide they just seemed 
with their backs against the wall for the entire game. I'll have to come back to Casemiro here. I mean, he was called the cement between the stones by Eric Ten Hag. If you just look at the stats itself, right? We have a seventy percent win rate. You are Manchester United. You cannot be a team who's telling me but that you are losing. But that's what we are. That's reality. That's where we are right now. Unfortunately, so hypothetically, if Casemiro gets injured, let's say next right. game, and you're for the rest of the season, you are seeing this Manchester United team without the top four race. He'll have to figure out a plan B plan. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, Ten Hag has. Like for example, at Sabit sir, right? He is not used to the pace of the Premier League. He was cramping up in an EPL game in the seventieth or eightieth minute, and that's that was very shocking for me to see. But Casemiro was out before the international break. Ten Hag knew he should have had a plan in place, right? Without Casemiro, you cannot try to play the same way. I mean, way. you can't bring in new players. You have to teach what players are existing. Exactly, I'm saying why was why didn't he not go into this game with a new plan? How can he go into a game without Casemiro with the Casemiro plan? I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, he has to try it and see what happens. It just didn't work out. And even for the next game, I'm a little afraid because I I don't feel the players that we have can make a non-Casemiro plan. They're very reliant on him. They're very reliant on him being disciplined enough to cover the spaces that they're leaving behind. And honestly, Dalo against Alan Sand Maxima and the one you brought in, it was a very obvious mismatch. I think even in the in the Carabao Cup final. When they played against each other, Alan and Maximum got a quick few run-ins. I think second, second half after we got the two-goal lead, we put in a Van Bissaka, and then San Maximum was kind of neutralized. He should have gone for a more defensive approach I and put Van Bissaka. You, you, anyway, know my apprehensions about Dalo, and irrespective of what Cristiano Ronaldo speaks about him, and this honestly seems like a game where probably he should have gone with a. Uh, defensive man Bissaka and probably realize the threat that Newcastle pose. Right, he should pay them more respect and kind of you know. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that that kind of, that didn't happen. I mean, I am actually a little afraid for what's going to happen in the next couple of matches. I really hope the opposition teams make mistakes and offer us that one penalty or you know like one counter attack to win because I just don't see any other way that we're going to do it without Casemiro. And I know you keep saying Casemiro is crucial, but I genuinely feel that even with Casemiro, if Rashford goes out of form and and. We both agree, right? That he's a momentum player. Like he thrives on that momentum and that energy, and how everything works around him. And I think if he goes out of form, United also have to find a way to score goals. I still feel they will get the top four nailed in simply because they are more stable. They just seem to know what to do more than the teams which are chasing them. And so I think they will make it to the top four. Also considering the form that uh, Liverpool are in and. Where the troubles that Tottenham are going through with uh, Fabio Paratici also now the sporting director out, I think they'll make it. Uh, but if I am a Manchester United fan, I would genuinely be concerned, even for next season though. Exactly. I mean, uh, not for next season. Not for next season. Let's I would say even for next fun. season because Casemiro is not getting any younger. Hmm. That remains to be seen. But yeah, I mean, they can kind of work in with a understudy for Casemiro maybe next season. But I agree with you. I th- I don't think United. I think United have a lot to worry about in terms of the top four race now. And that's all they should probably be concerned about. I really don't care about the Europa League, although that could also earn us the Champions League spot. But I really don't care about it anymore. I just want a secure top four spot, and I think it's much easier than winning the Europa League. But what do we now have to say about Newcastle? Because they are the team Informed. who played so amazing, amazingly yep. well. Yep. And last week you were saying they they don't have any shot at getting into the top four. You thought they would finish behind Liverpool when we did our top four rundown. I pegged them for fifth over Tottenham. Now, but with Tottenham, Paratici and Conte out. I just feel genuinely they can make it. I there's still a lot of games to go. They have to play eleven more games and they they have to maintain this form and this energy. I know they've been scoring goals recently, but still Isaac is not a reliable goal scorer. But still, where do we think given this performance, given this energy, 
where do we think newcastle can uh, has newcastle changed your mind regarding the top 4 no not really i mean they are a good team when they play at home because of the spirits etc but i just feel a couple of injuries a couple of red cards and they're kind of out of it uh so for that reason i i still think where do you think then they'll finish fifth or sixth in my opinion i think united and tottenham will fight it out for third and fourth you still think tottenham with all these problems yeah i think it's a lot of i, I don't think paratici has a lot of effect on the field so that just a little bit of a distraction that they maybe can get rid of i still feel tottenham and united can win this one there is a head to head coming up between newcastle and tottenham i think that game will be an extremely crucial game and So right, the top four chase uh, heats up, and we'll see what happens uh, next week. But yeah, moving on from the Premier League, a, a shout out to what happened at Bayern Munich at the Allianz Arena. Tuchel with a amazing start to the season, to his season. Uh, he won four two against Dortmund. Uh, again, four two. I think is a very flattering scoreline for Dortmund. I think they had nothing to offer nothing. for those four goals, and they. I think even Bayern Munich had a couple of chances which were narrowly offside. They were about to be like six goals up. and then the two goals were just consolation uh, so what do you have to say about tukul wish he was I, back i'm also uh, honestly tukul should have uh, never left all the sunday we can ha- have a talks in detail about tukul where i think some of the problems at chelsea are also tukul's making nevertheless he didn't deserve the sack at that point of time but coming to this game i think i was just optimistic that dortmund can end up making something happen keep this title race in the bundesliga alive and you were always like Bot- that Dortmund will bottle it up, and that's exactly what ended up happening. And honestly, I switched off this match uh, after that first goal went in. I just could not believe how, in such a crunch game, uh, Cobbles could make. Hey, wait! You hear that sound? You know what that sound is? It's time for a Bobo moment of the hey, week. Bobo, okay, my Bobo. And our Bobo, I was saying, Cobbles. I could not believe that in such a crunch game. He could make an error like that. This was the best time he could have played Bayern Munich. New manager, uncertainty, back from an international break. Hardly had any time with the new manager, and he ends up making that mistake. It it's it's so laughable. I've seen this happen in my school at times when the goalkeeper just misses it and goes in, and that's what happened. It was so comical. And, and exactly in school, goalkeepers were often the worst player of the team. <laughs> and a Kobel's mistake then kind of makes it to our Bobo moment of the week. It's all—it's almost like Dortmund are intent on becoming the Tottenham of the Bundesliga. I think every time now when Bayern and Dortmund play, we have to keep saying it's the history of the Dortmund. It was just—it was just shambolic, and it just killed that game there. But yeah, happy for Tuchel. I—I always want good things to happen with him. And as you mentioned, the scoreline was flattering. Even the possession stats—if somebody looks, Dortmund had more possession. But frankly, Bayern were up three nil. I think inside forty minutes. Right. There was just no incentive for them to do anything but just plug the gaps. And yeah, I mean they did what they did. And it at least as a neutral, I this still means that Bayern will be in a good run of form going into the Manchester City game. You're not a uh, you're not a neutral. You're a Tuchel fan. <laughs> I'll always be a Tuchelista. It's very interesting Especially this season because yeah. even if we end up facing them in the semi-finals after somehow getting through Madrid, there's no way we are beating them. So I'm a totally oh, that, good oh, thing. That's a that's an interesting opportunity. Let's see if that that ends up happening. So yeah, there you have it. That brings us to the end of the sixth pint of football episode. Uh, but what do we have happening this week, Ayusha? I mean, next week just again it turns out it looks just so enticing. First of all, Imam, so we have El Shitiko, Chelsea versus Liverpool. I think these two teams will. run around the uh, ground just to prove which team can make more mistakes be more shambolic than the other one 
but i mean none, uh, nonetheless i mean on paper it's a big game and i'll be up at night watching it and that's there and then for liverpool it just never seems to end after getting killed in one possible title killer match they're involved next weekend in a game with arsenal where again if somehow magically they are able to beat arsenal they the title race will become even closer and i think again, that's what we hope for as neutrals even though we hate liverpool a lot and again the next big game is also tottenham brighton which is actually a legit top four race and i know you won't agree with it but midweek manchester united are also playing brentford where if brentford beat united they will really be in that uh, top four race so, yeah, i just really hope i'm not talking about man united next week which means they would have won it and have no talking points to uh, speak about but yeah that remains to be seen so that brings us to the end of this episode please share like and subscribe if you love the points of football that that we have been bringing to you any comments that you have about our show any feedback do let us know and we'll definitely try and to and please improve. also rate each of our episodes your ratings also play a huge role in making sure we are discovered by more and more people until then see you